call me Al, you can call me Ed, you just, just fucking call me, why don't you? everybody now welcome to live on four legs the definitive live pearl jam podcast and obviously we're kind of in this middle tier right here it's it's almost like the purgatory of the pearl jam tour year where they did all the touring in june and july and now we sit here august is a good time to take a little bit of a breather we're in on court break two i think now we're that sounds right usually on court break two is the short one but this one doesn't seem short no, this is, yeah, this kind of has like the, the Mansfield 3 sort of feel to it for sure. We are going to go into some big shows very, very soon. You all know that. We don't have to explain things to you. September's going to be a big month. And we're bringing on a very special guest today to talk all about it. He has contributed to both Variety and Spin, talking about subject of all things Pearl Jam. And he also wrote the PJ20 book, The Almanac, for all things Pearl Jam. So. We introduce here Jonathan Cohen, second time on the podcast. Welcome back, Jonathan. Thank you guys for having me. It's great to be back with you. Absolutely. And uh, a lot has happened since then. You know, you you were on when the pandemic was happening. Obviously, no shows going on in 2020. But now we had the couple shows from 2021. And we obviously have what was going on the West Coast, what was going on in Europe. So there's a lot of time that's passed to start off. I'm just curious here about the idea going into the European tour, because obviously it did not end how they wanted it to on the West Coast. Then you go into the European shows and forever they've had their families out there. European tours have been kind of a, you know, a traveling thing. And and now they put the bubble together. So with them going out there, is do you think it was like a different approach for them? Yeah. You know, I think uh, those of us who have spent a lot of time on Pearl Jam tours know that some of those early shows uh, are a little bit about getting the cobwebs off, finding the footing again. I think it's fair to say that that was the case here, but you know, we're, when we're talking sort of about set list dynamics, um, you know, we don't have a big enough of a sample size yet to really know for sure if what we saw on those handful of shows in the fall of 2021 is what we should be expecting now moving forward in terms of generally less songs, um, certainly no more three-hour shows, and perhaps a little bit more homogeny in terms of the songs in the repertoire. Um, But I think as we saw, in spite of the unfortunate end to these European shows, um, there were plenty of times when uh, the, the formula was shaken up and some weird and rare songs made it into the set list and um, they did deviate from sort of the the more hit driven approach that was maybe a little bit more frequent at the beginning of the European run. Yeah, it definitely felt like Frankfurt was kind of the, the turning point where you could tell that they were more comfortable and they were warmed up. You started to see a little more of that, like, you can tell when when Ed's more comfortable, he starts playing around with the set list and starts moving things around and it's it's a shame because you know the west coast leg you know you you wrote that article kind of going over some of the the big moments from the west coast leg and even though there we were missing shows there there were still a lot of great memorable moments and it felt like it was leading up to something really big that we would have gotten and then that that happened again in Europe where they were starting to hit their stride and you were starting to see some some interesting things and some great 
memorable shows there even that run and you know we we have people on social media and, and twitter stuff say oh when they when they come back in the fall they'll, they'll be going back to 30 35 song runs it's like i don't think so i think this is kind of what you're gonna get but you know it's more the the quality is definitely still there like talk about you know some of the you know some of the big moments from europe that that, that were memorable for you well, yeah, be happy to do that. And and just because you sort of touched on the end of the the May dates uh, on the West Coast, just to hit on that a little bit, th- those those last couple shows without Matt are pretty unparalleled in the band's history, in terms of them on the fly, kind of putting something else together and playing full shows with a completely different rotating cast of drummers. And I think for you know nerdy fans you could maybe quibble with the actual technical performances there some of them were pretty loose and sloppy but on the other hand hearing other people play these songs especially hearing dave cruzen play them some 30 years on was just absolutely fascinating the tempos varied you know um they they in many cases some of these versions sounded a lot like the band used to play them a long long time ago and don't play the songs that way anymore so i found that really interesting um you know it was great to see them band together and get themselves up on stage with friends to complete those shows as best they could but uh, just from like a listening back standpoint i thought that was really cool so in terms of europe you know i i think that the show that people are going to point to hardcore fans in terms of just like really interesting set list and you know kind of throwing some of the things out the window um the show in krakow super cool with sometimes dissident um hard to imagine for the first time in more than six years i know you guys have uh, mirror came back at that well, i was just too. gonna say oh, yeah. <laughs> banging the drum for the disappearance of rearview mirror and it it shows up kind of in its usual place last song before the encore um i thought that was really cool um you know the the big shows in hyde park definitely kind of leaned on some hits but also some cool stuff for sure rats and faithful um leash you know at the, at the second show those video screens too i don't know if you kind of see they had those huge video screens behind them I would love to see like an official, like either a Nugs video or some kind of official video release on that. There were some amazing visuals from those shows just really stood out. Yeah, for sure. And and no surprise that uh, Danny Clinch got some great photos <laughs> from those shows that he's been posting um, to, to chronicle those evenings. So yeah, um, you know, in, in terms of sort of the, the hope that maybe by the September North American leg, the, the set list will be longer. Um, I just don't know, you know, yeah. we, we've, what, what have we had now? 20 some shows since the fall in total, 22, 25, something like that. And um, w- what's the longest one been out of all of those? Have Probably not even two and a half. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, based on that, maybe we really are at a point now where this is what we're going to see. But I think that the, at the end of the day, if the band has decided that, you know, cutting back on the length a little bit, kind of reigning in the full repertoire that might be played. um, If that's going to result in really high quality performances, if it's going to keep Ed's voice sounding as great 
as it has since last fall, then that's tough to quibble with. Um, but as we know, this band is full of surprises. So we're just going to have to see what happens in Quebec City. <laughs> and, and who knows, we could be in for a totally different thing than we have been seeing since last fall. For sure. And one of the things that in my mind that I'm kind of thinking about right now, I'm going back to 2020 here and what was quote unquote supposed to happen. And obviously what we're seeing now, I'm wondering if that was a little bit of a taste of what they were going to do, because I think there was going to be a lot of talk in 2020 because uh, they had Josh open up all those shows, plural one. And everybody kind of thought, okay, this is the time where sets are going to be shorter, but we didn't really know what the barometer for that was going to be. So do you think that this was in the cards all along or was this something because of COVID, because of pandemic and kind of everything moving forward that, that they just decided upon? I think it's probably a little bit of both, you know, 2018, the stadium show runs, those shows were long. And um, in in many ways, kind of like the culmination of everything um, that we love about this band as an onstage entity. And um, I do think there probably was some consideration given to, are we going to keep playing shows this long? Um, what does that really mean? And also um, taking stock of what it means to be on stage during a pandemic. You know, do, do you mitigate your own personal risk by being up there for less time as opposed to the normal length of a Pearl Jam set. Who, who really knows? And, you know, as we've seen, th- this is a band that is so careful about stuff like this, but even with the best practices in place, they, you know, got decimated by COVID uh, on the May West Coast leg. So that's, I, I guess it's my long-winded way of saying, Randy, that I think it is probably some of each. Sure. And, I would imagine they will be reevaluating as each new tour leg pops up, but you know, we're, we're still seeing the effects of the pandemic on the live music industry in a big way. And I would imagine until the band feels totally comfortable with what things are like playing indoors that we, we may be seeing the, the shorter version of the sets. Now on that point, you know, Canada's, Uh, protocol for vaccination statuses it's a little bit different up there is it gonna be a different process to go through or is it going to be pretty similar as they went through within the states and went through in uh in europe uh my hunch is it's going to be pretty similar um you know i I was reading recently about some player that had gotten traded to the new york yankees who yep not going to be eligible to, to play in in canada and the Blue Jays actually traded for somebody traded from the Royals and he was on the Royals and he wasn't allowed to play like two weeks before he got traded there. So right. obviously now he has no choice. Right. Well, you know, um, who knows? Maybe those protocols will keep keep some people more healthy than they otherwise would have been. Yeah. I yeah, guess sure. you can only hope. But the, uh, you know, the length is kind of where we're back in that 1998 kind of range and there were there were plenty of good shows in 1998 so i think we're gonna have to you know get used to like this we're gonna have to start looking for quality over quantity and like the the shows have been fantastic it's not like the shorter shows have meant that the performances have suffered because they definitely haven't and like you know we've kind of you know i've kind of talked about this chaser mentality that a lot of people have is gonna have to kind of 
kind of go by the wayside and you're gonna you're gonna like you said you're they did sprinkle in you know your fatal and your satan's bed and rats and things like that and you're, you're still gonna get that stuff but it's gonna be fewer and far between like if you go to a show thinking like oh if i don't hear just a girl then this show is gonna be terrible and like that mentality is just not gonna get you the appreciation for for what they're doing right now um but i want to get into uh the gigaton stuff a little bit because I think it's it's really unprecedented what has happened because we saw in May they started out in San Diego and played eight songs off the new record. They go to LA and play six on the first night and then it immediately drops off where you're getting three, you're getting two, three, four, three. We never really saw it reach that that higher level after that. And, you know, we've kind of, you know, said that that could be from a number of different reasons, you know, playing festivals, um, you know, maybe not being comfortable. Maybe, you know, it's been two years since the record's been out. But it's unprecedented that a band, you know, even on on the tour, touring this, this new record, that they were not playing as many songs. And even more that a lot of the fans were, seemed like they were clamoring to hear the new songs. Like how many bands 30 years in, people go to see them and like, no, play more of the new record. We, we've heard the old stuff. Uh, what do you make of like the the sort of like drop off in the gigaton plays this year. Yeah, it is really interesting, John. And um, I don't know that I have a, a great answer for it. Um, I, I would speculate that some of it is a function of, okay, if the shows are now 23, maybe 25 songs that perhaps they felt that playing five or six from gigaton was going to disrupt the flow of other kind of linchpin tunes that they want in there every night. And, you know, we can sort of see what those are now, um, you know, 20 some shows into this run where, you know, there's somewhere in the neighborhood of 12 to 15 things that are going to reliably probably be there. If not every night, then for sure uh, every other night and maybe two out of three. So I guess fitting some of the gigaton songs into that framework they must have felt that as the shows went on that they really were only going to maybe do two or three a night. And those seem to have coalesced into clairvoyance, um, quick escape. Um, th those seem like the two biggies for now, maybe super blood wolf moon as a third. Um, you know, who knows if that gets shaken up as well on the fall leg. If, right. um, you know, they find one or two that, are really working well and start to pop up more often. But um, you're right in that this is sort of uncharted territory for the band in that they're ostensibly promoting a record that is now, you know, more than two years old um, while also kind of reconfiguring their set list as a whole. And, you know, we can touch on this as well, but we know that they have started work on another record and sometimes it can be a challenge to, keep your headspace uh, on the work you're doing now while you're also out promoting something that's several years old. It, it, it is a strange predicament for sure. Yeah. Uh, we'll get back to the record in a little bit, but kind of off of that point, there was definitely themes within a lot of these shows. 
and the themes be, and you kind of hit on it where, you know, you'd go from a daughter into a Jeremy into better man and all of these hits. And even if they weren't hits, they could have been, you know, other songs like present tense or something like that, where it has crowd participation. It just felt like, and you know, this is speculation, but maybe after that long of not having shows, they wanted to give the crowd all of the big moments and, and be able to see them react to that. And, you know, there might be some songs in Gigaton that don't quite or they weren't sure what they would get out of them. You know, Buckle Up is not going to be that kind of song. All right. Probably not going to be that song. They're both great, but yeah. you're not going to get that kind of crowd reaction there. No, I think that's actually a great point. And sort of a, a parallel point to that is, you know, some some of these hits that all of us have heard 400 times or whatever, they can still be evocative and tell stories in interesting combinations with their brother and sister songs that are just as big of hits that we haven't really seen paired together in that way in a Pearl Jam set list in a very long time. And I think that's actually kind of cool that, you know, th these are very familiar tunes for a lot of us, but when structured in different ways, they really can offer infinite and myriad different ways of experiencing them in a concert setting. Um, and that's another thing that I think is kind of unusual for the band at this juncture that um, it's almost like they've wiped the slate clean in terms of where some of these hits have always been like in, in certain places in the set list. Um, not only have those positions changed, but the songs around them have changed. And I don't know. I find that really interesting and cool. Hey, that's basically essentially the the point of the podcast is to talk about all that stuff for sure. That's the essence off of that too. Um, there have been a lot of like great moments that have, you know, I, I, the ones that I'm thinking of are him telling the nothing man story about Richard Suver. That might be one of my favorites, the whole tie in with the San Diego show about, you know, him growing up in San Diego, then doing the reverse mama's on at the end. That was fantastic. Some of the stuff over in Europe doing the dedication to um, uh, the, the fan with ALS uh, in Berlin. There were a lot of moments that felt, you know, pretty big and pretty massive. I just want to ask you, uh, what was what was your favorite one, or what do you, what do you think was the one that stood out the most? I mean, um, if if it's cool to include some of those May shows and what we're talking about here, of course, yeah. I just think that the Dave Cruzan moment is something that you know, even though he was up there with them for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and and did a song, and they had you know spent some time rehearsing prior to that. Um, I don't know that I would have ever expected to see him up on stage with the band again and not for any particular reason other than they just are in a different place. But, um, you know, I never saw the band live with Dave and I don't know that a lot of people did. So to, to have that, um, to have that happen, to have him play on so many songs from that record, um, at that show in, in Fresno, I, I think that's just kind of mind blowing. And, you know, as I was kind of alluding to earlier, it's just so cool kind of hearing Dave play the songs as he remembers playing them on those sessions and in those right. you know, that short time period of live shows when he was in the band. Um, the songs don't really sound like that anymore live. 
And, you know, sometimes we kind of yearn to hear the modern day band play them that way. And that's what we got that night. And we might not ever get that again, but um, how cool that they turned, you know, a dodgy situation like missing that for a third consecutive show into this, you know, a, a real gift to hardcore fans for sure. I think Ed's quote that he said he was tripping balls listening to it, thinking about, you know, being in the basement of that art gallery again in, you know, 1990, 1991. Yeah, that's crazy. And who knows, you know, if if Sacramento and Vegas would have happened, I think he would have stuck around and probably played some more as well. I think that's very true. I don't I don't have rumor monger or anything, but I was told something in Sacramento that Dave Cruzen was there. Yeah. Again, I it was just something I heard, but I wouldn't be surprised either, for sure. Hmm, what else can we get into here? Well, we talked a little bit about the new record, and obviously there's a lot of stuff that we don't know yet. There's a lot of stuff that isn't released yet, but they are doing it with uh, Andrew Watt producing, and we know coming from Earthling that Ed has full trust in him. So how did that all come about? And, you know, he's a, he's such a young producer who's done so much with Post Malone and, and Ozzy and, and Miley Cyrus. How did that all come about? And how, uh, how did Andrew Watt kind of sit here and say, I'm producing a Pearl Jam record now? Well, um, I, this, this kind of goes back to, well, it's a long story. I, I think the succinct version basically is Andrew has been a fan since he was a little kid. And, um, as he started to make his way in the music business, he gradually started to build a friendship with Ed. They would bump into each other at a show here and there, or realize they had a mutual friend and they started to communicate directly with one another. And around the time that Ed played a benefit show out in California in, I want to say the spring of 2021, um andrew had been talking to ed about his cool studio that he has in beverly hills and if the opportunity presented itself maybe he could drop by at some point and it turned out that ed went to rehearse for that benefit at andrew's place and based on what both of them have told me i think pretty much from the moment that you know they turned the power on and put an instrument on they were working together and you know just stuff ed was messing around with while andrew was getting levels some of that stuff turned into the foundations of songs on the solo record and you know andrew being just a massive fan and you know stone told me in an interview a couple months ago that he thinks andrew knows their catalog better than they do at this point so <laughs> being and, a hardcore fan i wouldn't be surprised by that yeah, at all and andrew is is coming at this from a fan's perspective he, he i think he knows what fans crave to hear from the band at, at this juncture and so him working with Pearl Jam was just a natural outgrowth of the experience he had had with Ed making that record. And, you know, my understanding is that the the goal was to just kind of work quick and throw out riffs and, you know, um, kind of make things up together in a room, um, which has been, that hasn't been something that the band has done a lot of in recent years when they've been making records for many reasons and good reasons too, but you know, it's tantalizing to think about what songs created in that fashion might sound like now, because that's what resulted in some of the greatest old tunes. 
Yeah, that seems very yieldish when you're watching uh, single video theory, like all of them together in that room. So, yeah, it, it it feels like, and even even Gigaton felt a lot more collaborative and working with a new producer there as well. Um, so you kind of you kind of think that this record could be something where everybody's going to have a lot of writing influence. There's going to be more Jeff songs. There's going to be more Matt songs. Is it, it's going to have kind of collaborative feeling. You think Josh is involved a little bit too? Well, I actually, I think if I'm interpreting what stone told me correctly is that the, rather than the guys bringing in their own stuff and then having everyone else add to it, it's more like, Hey, you got a little kernel of a riff. Let's play it in the room and take it from there. Um, and you know, that that's how a lot of cool and wonderful Pearl Jam songs came about from the first couple records. Um, you know, whether they fully pursue that as, as they continue working on this, we, we don't know, but, um, as a concept, pretty interesting. Randy did, you mentioned, uh, Klinghoffer. I want to talk about Josh for a minute and what he brought. Cause you know, uh, speaking for myself, like I was not a really a Red Hot Chili Peppers fan going back. I was, kind of like okay here's this guy i don't know much about him what's he going to be doing but it was really impressive to see him especially you know on the on the west coast leg stepping in to play drums and then we saw you know on this european leg adding you know what he added to stuff like wma um even like stepping out and taking some pictures when he when he wasn't playing like have you had a chance to hear from him as because uh, i know we he's a little younger a little more active on social media and stuff um again talking about someone who was a who's a big fan um it, it was really impressive to see kind of what he added and i'm um you know very interested to see if that uh you know what that means for the fall as well yeah i mean i i think my favorite anecdote that i learned from josh speaking to him this spring around his most recent uh plural one project is that he now owns the drum kit that Jack Irons played? Oh, wow, when, when that's amazing in his Pearl Jam. Yeah, video. the Chili yeah. Pepper tie-in, the Pearl Jam yeah. tie-in, yeah, the one know. with the black and white stripes on the yeah. bass Love drum. It. Yeah. So how cool is that? I mean, basically, you know, Josh, I think saw Pearl Jam for the first time during the Jack era, and you know they've gotten to know each other as well. And at a certain point, I think that that kit changed hands and so wow. when, when you think of kind of um jack's foundational role and now sort of passing the proverbial torch here um to someone who has had his feet planted in both worlds with both the chili peppers and pearl jam now it's just kind of a it's heartwarming a little you know it, it's that the the spirit of this band um continues to kind of morph and evolve and uh, wind up in in wonderful places and i don't know i think that's super cool in terms of like josh's contributions on stage you know i i loved hearing him drum on those on those may west coast shows like um you know rearview mirror sometimes gets played really fast he didn't play it fast um he had that kind of command of the tension and release in a song like immortality that's so crucial and sometimes when they're just in that moment live that that the nuance of that gets a little bit lost um so i i was super impressed with his his playing throughout on those tunes uh when he was filling in for matt there was there was one show i think where during the alive solo mike even like handed him his guitar and was like here you take it and that was really cool to see yeah 
the interpretation with uh, Purple Rain being thrown in there too. Obviously, yeah. the last show in Amsterdam, kind of everybody getting the chance to sing. And honestly, they should keep doing that because it's it's phenomenal. But yeah, he seems to be a pretty important piece, and the band really seems to appreciate all that he's done for them. Yeah, no question about it. And you know, just as you know, fans were speculating, well, what's he going to actually be doing up there? You know, when he when he first did finally appear on stage with them at See Here Now. I think that's changing too, you know, um, he's doing other and different things than he did last fall. And that's exciting. One of the, one of the things I noticed that he is doing, especially with dance, like clairvoyance, it's a song that's so involved, but it's, it seems like he's using the same loop tracking that Ed used on arc. Do you, do you, do you know that for a fact? Because it's, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of vocal runs happening and Ed's obviously only singing one thing at one point, but it seems like he's working something back there. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that that song is a great example of like what he's able to help the band do live. You know, they couldn't, they literally couldn't have pulled something like that off without another set of hands prior to him, um, joining for sure yeah and it makes for great moments like that absolutely why don't we get into september a little bit and there's some big dates i think the first one i want to touch up on is a little bit both apollo and new york city uh obviously madison square garden and the the madison square garden date there's so much going for it and like when they're planning this and know that that that's open for msg that date has so much significance to something bigger than Pearl Jam, but even within Pearl Jam, something very big as well. You know, what's, you know, what's going to be, and I don't want to put an expectation on it or anything like that. I think they're going to knock it out of the park like they always do. But like, what do you, what do you think the energy is going to be like that night? Great question, Randy. Um, I think, it'll be goosebump inducing, you know, the, the anticipation before the lights go down is going to be pretty incredible. And, um, who knows how they'll start. Do they start solemn? Do they work their way up to a rocker or do they go in reverse and just like blast off from second one? Um, that that's the joy of this band is knowing that no matter what approach they take for an important show like this, we'll be in for something very special. Absolutely. Yeah, that that kind of reminds me of what they did with Love Boat Captain in Copenhagen and uh, the uh, Long Road uh, dedication in, um, what was that, Workter? Yeah, I think it was Workter, where that was on the anniversary. And that was supposed to be very important in 2020 because I think Copenhagen was on the 29th, was supposed to be that date. So same. that sounds like the same kind of thing that they're dealing with there. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, by the same token, MSG shows are sometimes the place where special guests pop up. Um, we've certainly seen some very special songs in MSG set lists. So um, I think the sky's the limit, really. I like to hear that. I like to hear that. Obviously, a lot of people out there are going to those shows or dying to go to those shows. So there's a lot. A lot of the Canadian dates are very close within each other. Then you got two back to back there. And then after Cam, then you're going to go three back to back to back, which they haven't done probably since the avocado record, I believe. And with all that's happening now, knowing that what happened in Europe, obviously canceling three shows and knowing what happened over in Sacramento and Vegas, 
what's the approach there for everybody? Is it going to be, are they going to have to do something different in one of those shows to kind of save Ed's uh, uh, voice there? It's a, it's a great question. And I think that potentially could set up the Apollo for maybe being a slightly abbreviated set. Um, it's probably not going to be two hours, 30, um, knowing that they have such a big one the next night, but I like where your head's at in terms of, do they try to do something a little bit more stripped down at some point? Or do they load up on a show where there's some other songs sung by people that aren't Ed um, just to give them a little bit of a break? We'll see it. You know, as we've talked about, we we know these guys are going to be as careful as they possibly can be. Um, And so we'll really just have to cross our fingers that nothing like what we've seen before happens again, because my goodness, the anticipation for the garden and, and the Apollo is something that people have been waiting for for two years as well. It, it would be such a bummer if those shows didn't happen in the way they were planned. So if it requires wrapping these guys in, in cellophane or something and <laughs> keeping them completely germ free, I'm sure, I'm sure they'll do everything they possibly can. I want to talk about, uh, you know, we, we did, you know, going back a little bit, the, the May tour, you know, didn't end obviously the way they wanted it to. Uh, but in Europe, they were able to, to come back and get in the the one last show in Amsterdam. And I think, you know, that was uh, definitely a restructured show. We saw them kind of sitting down at the beginning, playing some different things. Stone, you'd get to sing. Josh got to sing. You know, they did Black Diamond, where Mike and Matt get to sing. Um, do you think maybe that provided them with the blueprint for like, hey, we might have to kind of kind of rethink the way we do this going forward it was really big for them to get back and do that last show in amsterdam and kind of end that tour on a high note instead of just having it kind of fizzle out yeah exactly and and that that set list shows that you can end a tour on a high note by easing up uh on some of the songs that ed would normally sing or throwing some things in there that don't require him to even open his mouth and Again, it's just such another cool aspect of this band is that they've always got a card or two like that in their back pocket, you know, like how many times has the band played Black Diamond, like five or something ever or something like that. But just the 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 command of the repertoire to know that, hey, wait a minute, let's do this. Let's let Matt and Mike sing for a second. This song's fun. The crowd will love it. You know, Um, they're always thinking and. You know, there's always a solution um, when when things go a little haywire or if they need to kind of pivot. And um, yeah, I think you could be right, John, that um, that may have been a little bit of an insight there that they have these tracks that they can pull out um, when they need to. Yeah, the, the acoustic opening for that going with, and it wasn't acoustic, it was just sit down. Uh, you know, nothing's as, as it seems, off it goes. Everybody kind of knows the setless structure for that. But I think we all kind of said, you know, throughout the whole tour, like, where are these songs? Where are these, you know, sit down, more calm, more relaxing? Like, it's very surprising that Just Breathe hasn't been thrown out there. And this feels like the kind of song and the kind of idea that maybe they should go back to, like, opening with a slower one in the encore or maybe taking the couple uh, in the first three and going back to that slow burn. What do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure people would love to see it, but it it gets back to what we were talking about earlier is, well, okay, if you do that, then what gets cut, you know, what's, what's the corollary song that gets dropped. 
Yeah, we, we saw so many Gigaton songs get, get cut from set list. You know, they would post the list after the show, and you'd be like, oh, 7 o'clock got cut again. River Cross got cut Long again. joke, yeah. 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 Um, so I, I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, you know, I, I like that there was a glimmer there where some of these more down-tempo tracks did get played. Um, we'll see both if they continue to get played and where they get slotted in moving forward can be interesting one obviously the one that everybody seems to be dying for is the apollo and it's impossible to get tickets to it's something that was announced not very long ago probably a little bit less than a month ago that they were going on with this like you kind of said that it might be in a bridge set but you know outside of that like it was supposed to really be and it felt like it was going to be the gigaton debut that you know maybe in those canadian shows they were going to get to dance they were going to get to quick escape and super blood and a couple couple others here and there but it seems like they were holding some cards close to the vest for this show now they don't have that anymore so is there going to be something do you think it, it's it's something kind of unique kind of different and like is it a benaroya experience does it turn into that or you know we kind of mentioned where they are and are they going to go the route of covering some of the bands that have been known for playing there, like J- uh, James Brown or somebody like that? Yeah. Uh, great points. And all of those things would be amazing. Um, we know Ed's love of connecting the city and venue where they are to what's going on at that moment. So I I'm sure there will be some recognition of the the historical aspect of where they are that night um so performing i don't know something motowny or by a legendary artist that has um you know been at the apollo before would be super cool um full benaroya that might be a bit of a stretch but never know. <laughs> i'm just I mean, trying <laughs> I, I guess we can always hope you know i think that the closest equivalent show like this at least in new york that they've ever done in recent years was the irving plaza show mm. sort of the avocado release show for you know lack of a better description and that show was only 21 songs long um and it wasn't even broadcast i don't believe um and you know that was at a time when they were playing much longer shows um so i don't know i would maybe look to that as some kind of analog to what we might expect. Um, you know, 21 being a shorter show for that time, you know, 21 would be normal for now. Maybe it's a little less than that, but I could be totally wrong. They, they may just be fully prepared to like do two back to back blowouts in New York and, you know, really knock our socks off. Now, is this going to be broadcast on Sirius like it was supposed to be or cause I haven't heard any word about that. Mm, that's a good question. Um, I'm not sure if it's being broadcast live. I, I would be shocked if it doesn't wind up on the air at some point, mm-hmm. um, because this is part of a series that they do called Small Stages. Um, but off the top of my head, I'm not sure whether there's a live broadcast component or has been previously. Um, is uh, well, you know, What are you looking forward to the most in the fall? Is it MSG? You know, honestly, the show I'm most looking forward to is Louisville. Um <laughs> because I went to college in Bloomington, Indiana, and Louisville was about a 90-minute drive from there. And at the time, there was just an incredible music scene um, in Louisville. Uh, some kind of 
bands that are now fairly obscure but influential like slint oh, oh, i knew you were going to mention slint i was i was yeah. going to if you did uh rodan had an offshoot band called rachel so yep. long story short i spent a lot of time in louisville um in my college era just being exposed to these awesome new sounds that were not known to me before i arrived uh in bloomington for college and um there's just something in the air there for me that um has has always led to special experiences in louisville so i'm very excited to see the band there and also the event they're playing is really cool because it has a very strong food and bourbon component to it and louisville has an amazing restaurant scene as well which is criminally underappreciated so i'm looking forward to kind of blending these two pursuits together um in in a city where i've spent a lot of time and really have enjoyed myself previously from some of the things that i've heard about that festival and people whenever you know some whenever you say pearl jam and festival they're like okay well that's not going to be the the thing that the hardcore pearl jam fan there's going to be a mix of everybody there but from what i've heard that festival is like kind of got a very relaxed kind of jammy vibe to it more jam bands play there have you been to that before do you do you know kind of what happens no i've never been to it but just by looking at the lineup i mean it's it's dominated by rock bands and rock artists and i i think that will be a great kind of atmosphere uh for for pearl jam that weekend um you know that there will be people around that they have sometimes had come jump up on stage with them so who knows who turns up one of the only outdoor shows too that's right crowded house jack white is around you know a boy can dream we'll see what happens (laughs) (laughs) where can everybody find you going out on the tour uh for now i'm just going to be doing the two new york shows in louisville but um I, I may get a wild hair and wind up adding three or four more. We'll just have to see. <laughs> well, we'll be at a lot. So wherever you are, hopefully we'll get to to meet up and celebrate this. Uh, yeah. Jonathan, thank you so much for coming on. It was great talking Absolutely. to you. Amazing yeah, really insight. And uh, yeah, you're, you're the guy to go to for all things Pearl Jam in this community. So I uh, hope you get everything that you want from the tour. What What's the one thing you, you want to hear them do? What want to hear them break out? Wow. Good question. Um, Toughest question of the night. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd love to hear some avocado stuff. You know, some of those tunes turned up here and there, but I don't know, maybe a little avocado with a dash of no code favorites. I'd be a happy man. I'd buy that. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me yeah. on again. guys. Absolutely. Thank you, yeah, thank thank you, you so, so much. much. Well, once again, thank you so much to Jonathan for joining up on the show. His insight is is terrific and very much valued as always. What was the, what was the one thing like? It felt like after talking to him that you really get juiced up for that MSG show. That that feels like such a massive day because I didn't even consider the fact that the whole entire set, like wh- like what he said with you know just the expectation leading up to when they take the stage and you know the the what and the how they're going to do things as well who's going to show up like that got me real fired up for that show more than i already was you know they've had that one circled since mm. this thing was announced and even you know, he, he even talked about louisville too and like that would that was very cool like that's one now that like you know i didn't have tickets for that originally like i'm thinking about Thinking about adding that one to my to my list of shows and making. You got nothing to do Saturday. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. It's all leading up to something very good, and obviously there the talking points of yeah, we there are risks involved with 
you know, knowing what happened all in Europe and within the West Coast as well, that we have to kind of take notice that, okay, if they come out of that three-headed monster in Nashville, Louisville, St. Louis, and it comes to to Oklahoma City and they're going to be like, well, uh, Ed's got nothing for it. We have to kind of know that that's a possibility. And, you know, just keeping our minds on that. There's a lot more positive than negative. Let's just put it that way. There's a lot more positive than negative. I think this conversation actually helped. I bring up the negativity, but I think the conversation helped uh, see see it from a very positive aspect. Yeah, they don't want to end this this fall tour like the like the last two have have ended. They it's going to be you know they're going to do everything they can to get through this thing unscathed and and you know like like he said you know we're we're going to have to wait and see what that looks like and it, they like and he said you know they've always got a surprise or two up their sleeve so I'm anxious to see what that what that turns into. Act three is always the most exciting, and that's what we're headed for in a matter of weeks once the band hits to Quebec City. Hey, this whole month, if you don't know what's happening on Live on Four Legs this month, that's all we're going to do. We're going to do some of the locations that are coming up in the coming month. So stuff like a Camden show, which is going to be this week from 2006. Next week, we're going to be doing St. Louis, then Denver, Quebec City, and a little bit of Hamilton. So we'll get a little bit of mix. We'll kind of prepare you for the upcoming shows a little bit and celebrate some of the best moments and most notable shows that have happened in those cities. So very excited to have that for you guys. If you're interested in donating to the show, head on over to Patreon, patreon.com slash live on four legs or go to live on four legs.com there is a become a patron button right up there it goes right into the show and helps us out especially with a lot of the tour stuff that we're going to be doing we're going to be needing uber rides we're going to be needing some meals here and there so it's going to all go into that just helping us with the little things so it just eases the this trip that's going to be massive for myself and if you're adding another show then uh pretty hefty for you as well three nights in a row All right. Thank you all for listening in. Make sure you are subscribed on Spotify or Apple. And if you're on Apple, give us a little bit of a rating. Leave a comment. Let us know what you think. And if you're brand new to the show, hey, we almost had 200 episodes to listen to. Any one of those, I'm sure if you've gone to at least 10 to 20 shows, you've probably gone to a show that we've talked about before. So check out the archives. A lot of that information is going to be on liveonfourlegs.com, and hopefully there's something that you're really going to like in there. I can actually guarantee that. Let's close this one out. This may be the end. We're here, but not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways... Miss you already. Miss you always. Until next time, later this week, Camden, 2006. Be there. See you there. Thanks, everybody. You know, uh, I don't know, maybe four years ago, I'm bringing this up for a reason. About four years ago, something like that, we were, we were uh, induced, inducted, uh, into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And, and it was nice and everything, and we're not complaining. We, we appreciated being recognized by our peers. And, um, but but the, the part that was the, the most rewarding was seeing some old friends, seeing some old uh, bandmates, 
um, some people that we hadn't seen for quite a long time. And in one case, um, we had our friend come up to Seattle, his name, uh, he, uh, he came up, we only played a couple songs. Um, but when this all went down with Matt the other day, um, we started thinking about uh, all the other all the other people that you know. We we've been through some great drummers <laughs> and um, some of the best, and and we have the best currently. But you know that first record seems to be a record that that um, affected so many people. It's such a nice thing. But uh, our friend that was playing drums at that time, you know, it, it, it just, uh, the amount of shows that he got to play with us was, was fairly limited. Well, it looks like this week we're gonna get to make up for that. Ladies and gentlemen, on the drum kit, Mr. Dave Cruzen. Say hey. 